The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with The Plant Profits, powered by Protus Global. Hey, thank you all for joining me here today. I am your host, of Plant Profits. And uh, my name is Vern Davis. Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. And look, um, I'm really am excited to, to have this discussion today with my next guest, Mr. John Casali. He's a multi-generational cannabis farmer. And um, he's joining us today from the world-renowned Emerald Triangle in Northern California. And John, welcome. Welcome to Plant Profits. Thank you so much, Vern. I appreciate you having me on here today and, uh, and giving us a platform really to share our story. Absolutely. And um, looking forward to, to hearing about that and getting that, that story out. But first thing I want to do is I, I want to ground this conversation. You know, people hear this term Emerald Triangle. What is the Emerald Triangle? So the Emerald Triangle is an, an area in California that is pretty known for their their superior cannabis, and um, it consists sun grown of though, right? Is it sun grown? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's definitely known strictly for sun grown, and it's made right. up of three counties. We have Mendocino County, we have Trinity County, and then we have Humboldt County. And most people have heard of Humboldt County. Yes, Humboldt. In Mendocino, I've heard more of. Trinity, I've not heard that much about. Yeah, it, it's just uh, on the east side of, of yeah. both of our counties. And um, yeah, there are amazing farmers over there also. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So tell us, the, tell us what made it Emerald Triangle. Tell us the story of the region. Yeah, and I, I think whoever you talk to will have a different version. <laughs> but really, for, for most of us that have lived here our whole lives, um, yeah. the Emerald Triangle consisting of these three counties really um, were a big part of creating this multi-billion dollar industry. And, and I say that because, hmm. you know, as a, I, I'm living on the same piece of property I grew up on right. um, in 1978. So I've been here for 50 years and um, I was here with my parents and, you know, enforcement, this, this was incredible not so much in the early 70s or, or early 80s, but in the mid 80s, this place became like a war zone. Um, really? There was multiple different agencies. Okay. Ronald Reagan had declared the war on drugs. So we were, we were fighting for this plant that we were taught as kids that was just relatively harmless and could bring all kinds of medicinal values to people, um, which we're now finding out now. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's been an everyday thing that we dealt with enforcement and running from helicopters as a 15-year-old kid. I remember wow. um, Black Hawk helicopters sitting over my house with four guys out of it with AR-15. So wow. they really, yeah, it, it was, this plant was demonized from the very beginning. And what we did by fighting against this enforcement for so many years was really allow us to be legal today. And so... Um, it's, it's what I consider the, the bullseye of a dartboard where a multi-billion dollar industry was created. And, and I think out of respect to that, out of respect mm -hmm. from what we went through as, um, the Emerald Triangle, people really know, need to know where this, this has been built from. And so, um, 
It's no, really important. I, I think that is important. And that's why I wanted you to kind of tell that story. Now, as you said, you grew up there, right? So, John, you know, growing up in the Emerald Triangle, you, you gave us some sense of the of the tough time, right? When the war on drugs was declared and 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 the Emerald Triangle was the bullseye uh, for this plant that people did not at that time want to own the fact that it was medicinal and it was good for you and it could help you um, and it wouldn't uh, addict you and those kinds of things that we are aware of and that we we treasure now. What was it like for you as a kid growing up, uh, probably working in, 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 in cannabis with your, with your mom and dad or, or whomever, and it was like normal. So tell us about that. Yeah, you know, um, I didn't know one person in Humboldt County that didn't grow cannabis. And so wow. back then we were, we were really told by our parents that you couldn't really share that with anybody because that really jeopardized your livelihood, that jeopardized the safety of your family. And so we were all considered to be carpenters. That was just the general thing. If anybody asked, which was a taboo <laughs> question, you never asked anybody what they did for a living because yeah. the answer was always, I'm a carpenter, but, but it was an amazing lifestyle. I mean, it was a, you kind of created your own kind of life here. Um, uh. So it was about working in the vegetable garden. It was about working with the cannabis plant and growing fruit trees and growing grapes. So my earliest memory was really at 10 years old, running around with my mom, um, yeah. having grown up as a Christian. Um, my mom was, you know, kind of hesitant on whether or not to allow me to interact with this plant. But okay. um, she, I really believed as a 10 year old kid that this was this plant was the same as the tomato plant. I didn't ever look at it. It was never explained to me as as something bad. It was just another plant in my view. And so. We interacted with it. I had chores as a, as a kid. When I would come home from school, I would have to check the water tank, check the drippers, make sure the plants were happy if they needed food. And, and I was taught this by my mom. And she was okay. known as, as somebody in Humboldt County with a green thumb and an amazing um, grower. And I really learned everything I know from her. And, you know, at 15, I begged her for a long time to, to have my own plants. And how she rationalized that was she let me have those 10 plants. She let me grow my own way, some of the techniques that she taught me. But okay. her condition was that I couldn't use any of this money for fun. I had to use it as a college education or some kind of investment. So at the end of my, my growing season at 15 years old, I bought a 10-acre piece of property along the Eel River. And that was my first kind of interaction with kind of making money from this plant. And from that point forward, I was just completely addicted and just amazed by um, knowing that the more time and energy and love that I put into this plant, the better it would come out in the end. So we would experiment all the time with on different techniques because we were learning how to grow it. We knew that every different strain required a different kind of technique and a different yeah. feeding schedule and a different amount of water. And um, yeah, so it That's was just amazing. amazing. No, that, really that is amazing. Is your mom still with us? Yeah, you know, that's a part of a bigger story. But unfortunately, down the road, I ended up getting in trouble and my mom passed away while I was in jail. And, yeah, um, we, we're going to we're going to get to that. But you've kept her name alive. Yeah. So 
this this farm really is about making a difference in people's lives and mm-hmm. it's not about money it's about bringing the consumer and sharing with the consumer something that we've been doing our whole life that never really been able to really share with them so it's it's something that we've always needed some kind of gratification or validation for what we've been doing that we're now actually getting so i've named all the the different strains yeah um you know uh and they're they're all bred to a strain that my mom grew with me when I was ten. So in her honor, all the strains here will be bred to her strain that she grew with me. So some of them are named after her, like Sweet Marlene and Mom's yeah. Weed, and and uh, so people don't recognize those names, but they're really amazing, amazing plant. Yeah, you know, you just said something, John. Right? Is people don't recognize those names? How do we make that happen in cannabis? What what are you doing to to get sweet Marlene to be the taste, right? What what are you doing to do that? We're really just trying to educate the consumer. It's about education. You know, know, the small farmers of the Emerald Triangle don't have a lot of um, extra money to market and brand themselves, to educate the consumer, to tell them it's not just about the THC that makes you feel good. It also has to do with terpenes and cannabinoids that also adds to the entourage effect. So it's just a daily fight for us to educate. We're, we're actually doing a study with Columbia university to show Mm -hmm. the power of terpenes now. And it's just what an amazing results that we're coming up with. And we're at the beginning stages, but, um, it's just the everyday interaction with the consumer. And most of us use social media like Insta- Instagram to really interact right now just because of COVID. You know, it's yeah. limited us. But uh, yeah, Man. just kind of things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a constant struggle, right? Because you're and, – and, and maybe, and maybe uh, John, that is part of the difference between – the time today and the the legal version of of the industry versus the time in the mid eighties, um, you know the illicit uh, industry that it was labeled. Uh, that now you've you've stepped into a game where brands and names mean something, and um, and you have to advertise because all the big money is putting it there. Is, is 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 there and you have to bring your brands forward and it it makes it very difficult that's another struggle that we're going to talk about uh for the small farmer right it's a, it's a, it's a struggle how do you hold that price you know and the and in the, the sun grown region of your product uh when all the big so much of the big money is is put on the canopy grown uh products and and that's, you know, and, 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 and they wanted their product to be the product of the industry and they have the money. It's a big deal. And it's a, it's a big challenge. And, and John, we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about the, the price you can pay personally for being on the, on what's considered the wrong side of that business. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. My name is Vern Davis. I am your host a plant profits. Plant profits is brought to you by Produce Global. Uh, my guest today, who is owner of Hokelberry Hill Farms, Mr. John Casali, and he's got a hell of a story uh, to tell. And we'll be right back. Plant profits will return, so our sponsors can profit from these messages. 
Hey, welcome back. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. I'm spending my time today having fun with Mr. John Casale. He's a great guy. He's the owner of Huckleberry Hill Farms in Humboldt County, right, John? Humboldt yep, County is where you're at. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, up in that beautiful part of the world called the Emerald Triangle. And we're we're having a good chat about, you know, his journey. And part of your journey, John, is is that what at an early age, uh, those Black Hawk helicopters decided to come down and scoop you up, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of it kind of happened like that. You know, uh, this old man down um, the road of a piece of property that he owned ended up turning us in. And one morning here at my house here, um, I heard somebody driving up the driver real quick. And, and um, we always had it in our mind what what getting in trouble would be like. But but it wasn't anything like that. I had 30 federal agents show up at my front door with a nine millimeter that held to my head. Wow. And I just just to give you kind of some just to know who I am is I would never hurt anybody. And I had never had a spitting ticket in my life. And when they busted down my door, um, you know, I was just in awe with what was actually happening and kind of in disbelief. And, and really from that point forward, my life was never the same. And it wow. took really a year and a half before they actually charged me. They left that day with giving me a little yellow speeding ticket. A year and a half later, they charged me federally and really? for the next why did that take so long tell me that what so you got a little ticket like you would get if you were underage drinking at your your friend's house right so you absolutely got, yeah you got that little ticket and and what happened after that so i guess you know the feds have up to five years before they 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 have to charge you and they were just taking their time i guess putting their case together maybe they were watching me we don't know but um, really, for the next three and a half years after that, I, I really tried to tell the judge who we were as people because it was my belief. You know, we went in there and said we were guilty. It was my belief that if he understood who we were inside, who we were as people, that we would never hurt anybody. I just was in disbelief that we could actually get right. time for growing this plant. And, and the mandatory minimums, which I was being prosecuted for, where my bracket was 10 years to life in prison as a first-time nonviolent offender. Wait a minute. Say it, 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 it's worth saying that again. Yeah, so, and so it's unbelievable. 10 to life was on the table. 10 to life was on the table. And, you know, you never know at the time what you're actually going to get. I had a pretty, pretty understanding judge, which st he stood up and really said that he didn't want to give us that amount of time, but he was bound by the law. And fortunately for us, we received the lower end. So we got 10 years in prison and in federal prison, you have to do 85% of your time. So I did eight years in federal prison and then had five more years of probation. So this was a 17 year long fight for me with the from the time I got busted uh, for this plant. So Wow. It's, it's been an amazing journey, Vern. Um, wow. It's really hard to explain and share with people, but it, it matters. It matters to this industry what, what we went through to get to this point. Yeah. John, so tell me, man. So tell me, was it you or was it more members of your family uh, who went who went down with you? It was just me. My parents had left here the property and became commercial fishermen, sailed around the world, and they weren't around. It was me and my best friend. And, yeah. and you know, one thing I think is important to mention, I don't mean to take up too much time, but 
No. The Emerald Triangle was built on trust. And when I got in trouble, I didn't have to do any time because the feds operate in a way where they want you to cooperate and give up your friends. And so when we were, when I was able to show them that I am who I said I was from along for this whole time, you know, that went a long way with them. And, and after my parents had died, when I was in jail, I didn't have anybody, I didn't have anything to come out to except for an amazing community that now knew that they could trust me with their life. And I had 50 people here when I returned, um, <laughs> excuse me, when mm -hmm. I returned back from jail and mm. um, they helped me get my life back in order to help me buy spoons and forks and plates and toothpaste because everything I had was gone. And so I owe them my life. Yeah. That man, man, uh, there's, so, I mean, this whole thing is a way of life and uh, the people that helped you, um, wow, that, that's a hell of a story. And uh, just, just to know how deep that relationship amongst your neighbors are. Um, right. and, and I would imagine it had to be a very tough time for the person who turned you in. Yeah. You know, he was a 90 year old man. I don't hold anything against them. Right. You know, um, I don't hold grudges against people. I'm not even angry at the government for putting me in jail for that time. That was just their rules at that time. And I saw a lot of bitter and angry people in there. And I promised myself that I would not become that person because that would be a life sentence. And yeah. so there's always a bright side of everything, no matter what happens to you. And, you know, I'm very fortunate for, for the life that I have. I'm, permitted by the county and I'm permitted by the state of California now doing something that I love to do in, in, in an amazing, beautiful place in the world. Oh, it's, it is a beautiful, I have been up there. It is a beautiful place. So th this is, this is important. So describe your form for everybody. So it's a, it's a 5,000 square foot cannabis farm. Um, I okay. run it. Uh, it's just my girlfriend and I that run this farm because I want to be the person that touches every single plant and every single leaf um, because I want that product to come out as good as I can for the consumer because that's what brings me joy now is that consumer um, experimenting around with my product and, and really enjoying that and making them feel good and hearing that they can sleep at night or or yes. their ailments can, you know, are no longer. And so this farm isn't about, about making money. This farm is about shedding the light on the Emerald Triangle farmers. And there's places mm -hmm. along the farm that you can walk that actually have other farmers logos and stories about them on the farm. Okay. And, um, because this farm doesn't just produce some amazing cannabis. It's all these other small craft sun-grown farmers that, that also do. And so I want people to really experiment with all different kind of cannabis because what makes me feel good might not make you feel good and mm -hmm. it's not just about the thc so it really takes a little bit of effort on their part to to figure out what strains make them feel good and if there was one example or one thing that i could shed with the consumer is um know your farmer know who that person is inside know who he he supports if he supports the veterans if he supports mm -hmm. compassionate care um, how he's growing your cannabis that you're about to put in your body. Those are all things that will ultimately end up affecting the way you feel. Man, that is, that's, that's real talk right there. That's, that's real knowledge coming out, uh, John, because, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of shows, but no one's really said it that way. And, and the way you just said it, 
it's real and it makes so much sense. And, and I know that you're, you're, you're telling the truth, but as a consumer, how do I get to know that? How do I get to know the love you, but you want to touch every leaf, right? How do I get to know the love that, that, uh, what makes me feel good? How do I get to know, the, know the, uh, the cultivator? How do I get to know the, the person who created that, that plan and made it, uh, something for me? You know, um, we're hoping that the bud tenders are going to actually get on board and really okay. share some of our stories with the consumer because they're their direct link right to the consumer. But you can, you can Google most of us, uh, okay. Google our farm names. You can go on Instagram. Most of us have Instagram accounts and you can really quickly learn who we are. And um, I did get a tourism license last year in Humboldt County. So people can actually come to the farms and we have multiple different farmers here and you can learn about all the different farms. Um, and, you know, you're, you're going to learn really quickly that some of the product that we produce really makes you feel amazing. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So what are some of the struggles that your brother, you and your brothers and, and like farmers uh, face? So, right you know, now? so the state of California legalized pot have been uh, permitted by them um, for four and a half, five years now. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're a bunch of regulators that really don't understand what this plant's all about. Doesn't don't understand how the industry actually works. So they made a bunch of different rules that now all of a sudden they're finding out that don't work. And one of those rules are they, they, they charge us per pound that we produce on our farm and they charge us the flat tax because mm -hmm. when the, when when we were legalized or when we got our permits, the price of pot was like at twelve to fourteen hundred dollars a pound. So if you charge just a ten percent flat tax, mm -hmm. which is a, ends up being one hundred and fifty four dollars a pound, um, you know that worked out okay for the farmers. But now as as the state continues to permit farms in California without federal legalization, there's there's an excess of 40 million pounds being produced in California with not enough retail shops to actually get rid of that pot on the legal right. market. Right. So either that goes out on the illegal market, you know, that they don't get tax money from, or um, we have to drop our price. So the price of one pound of cannabis now on the legal market is between four and five hundred dollars. So if you're still charging us one hundred and fifty four dollars tax, and it costs us one hundred and fifty dollars um, to have it trimmed. And then we still have to pay our square footage fee with the county, our square footage fee with the state, our water board fee, our fish and game fee. Oh, our, uh, you know, there's no money left. So this industry is about to collapse unless Gavin Newsom or Nicole Elliott really stands up and realizes and listens to us. Because, you know, we're at, in their eyes, I think, a bunch of illegal farmers that now are coming out of the darkness and into the light, whining about having to pay taxes. But we did this in good faith. We did this in trusting them to really give us an avenue of distribution and to make a living. And that's all we want to do is make a living and share our, our cannabis that we've been growing our whole life with the consumer. Yeah. Um, Man, that, that's, a, that's a struggle. I, I really want to get into the to what you think. Um, are some of the accomplishments and progress that you guys have made in that light uh, since you've been fighting this fight? And and man, the the price of has dropped. It's only a third of what it used to be, and, and that's 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 a really tough place to be. Hey, I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits, and um, my guest today, um, John Casali, is the owner of Huckleberry Hill Farms 
He's a small farmer uh, up in that wonderful triangle. And um, he is uh, really uh, sharing with us some of the struggles that, that occur uh, based on the circumstances that we're in today. Okay, so we're going to take a real quick break and we'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, I'm Vernon Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global people's solutions. And uh, my guest today is John Casale. He's the owner of Huckleberry uh, Hill Farms um, up in Humboldt County. And uh, he's really uh, sharing with us some of the, the real struggles of like farmers uh, have uh, in that region and, and, and how uh, the folks that actually built this industry uh, is struggling to stay in this industry. And that's a, that's a problem, and we got to get that fixed. So, John, what are we doing about it, and uh, are they listening? Um, I hope they're listening, and I won't stop until they do listen. Um, I'm pretty fortunate. My brand has been working with the Willie's Reserve brand, the Willie Nelson crew, yeah. um, who is a very loud voice, who is very powerful. You know, we're hoping to touch base with Seth Rogen or some of these bigger voices that really can can shed light on this mm-hmm. industry and really have those regulators listen to us because until we have somebody like a Willie Nelson yelling from the top of his lungs um, to save the small farmer, we're going to have a big struggle because it doesn't seem like our voice is being heard right now. So um, I, I reach out to them. I appreciate them and who they are and what they've accomplished. Do, do you feel as though you're making a dent in the armor? You know, I, I want to say yes, Vern, I really do. And, and I believe yeah. in, in people and doing the right thing. And um, having lived on this mountain, I'm pretty, pretty sheltered for a long time. Didn't even know there was a difference between state and federal law. Didn't even think I could go to jail for this plant. And, and right. you know, I was wrong. So I do. I'm very hopeful. I, I, I love being positive, And I do believe I, I, you know, I'm currently working with California Department of Fish and Wildlife is okay. very responsive. So, you know, their voice resonates with the regulators a lot more than mine does. So we're working with all the different regulators and 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 these other agencies that really were against us for so long and really trying to build bridges with them and saying, hey, look, if you give us the opportunity, we really want to do the right thing. We really want to be kind to the environment and grow like you think we should be growing. Mm-hmm. Um and we want to bring the people the best possible product we can. I mean, it's all for good reasons. We want to do it for the right reasons. Okay, let's take a look at this thing, you know, this way. So you have the lack of understanding by the government. But are there some some competitive forces uh, that are actually would love to see your region, how you do business go away? Are there some forces out there? that would like to see you fail outside of the government, just not understanding uh, the plight. You know, it's in in our opinion, it's, it's kind of, it's big ag kind of against the small farmers because what we do is special and unique and touching every plant and, and giving each individual plant its individual attention doesn't really go with their business model. They really want to believe that pouring something in a tank, 
from a bottle, a fertilizer jug is going to produce the same quality. And what they're realizing, they're learning as we go, is that that's not the case. That's not what's going to produce the quality of product that we produce here in the Emerald Triangle. And yeah. so it, it behooves them with their large investments to see us go away. So when federal legalization comes, the only people left standing are them. And so they can sell to the retail shops at a loss. They can sell a $5 eighth mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. those retail shops and actually lose money where the small farmer, we don't have a, a lot of money in reserve. We can't, we, we were always just planning to make it from year to year. It was never about <laughs> making millions of dollars. It was never about the money. It's about being happy. Life is short, man. We all have to treat each other with kindness and, and enjoy every single day because, you know, like with my mother, you know, she passed away at the age of 50. I'm, I'm 53 years old now, you know, wow. it's just like, I don't want to take that for granted. And I feel very fortunate doing what I do. And, and I want to do it for the right reasons. Uh, that's awesome. Let's talk about your farm, Huckleberry Hill. Okay. So where'd the name come from? So that there was a sign when we moved here back in the 70s that said Huckleberry Hills. It's surrounded by Huckleberry bushes and it, it kind of just stuck with me here. <laughs> I like it. That's yeah. great. That is great. So what's happening there? Um, you know, or are you because I know some of you folks are and, and your your brother in there, you're able to hold your price higher uh, maybe than than some others. Um is that working for you because of your reputation? Anything like that is working in your favor, John? It, it's the education process is kind of working with the consumer. They're starting to learn that okay. our product does make them feel amazing. Unfortunately, without federal legalization and with the state continuing to permit farms, like I said, yeah. we only have the ability to get rid of five million pounds in in the retail shops but there's like 60 million pounds being produced yeah so you know supply and demand they're yeah. going to force our price point down too and and you know like i said bulk prices right now are like four to five hundred but it costs us five to six hundred to produce them so we won't be around long unless they change something yeah well i know uh based on i mean you're a survivor brother and yeah. hulkberry hill farms will be around i'm sure and and um, uh, people will open their eyes and understand uh, that um, the importance of the small farmer in this game, because consumers want you. Consumers want a special product and they want to make sure that what they're getting is done the right way. And so there's so many forces working for you, John. I'm, I'm man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I believe that all the good things that you want to happen is going to happen. And um, hey, you get an opportunity, Johnny, to, to really give us, you know, a message that you want to leave us with here today. So I'm asking you to, you know, this is your stage. Give us give us what you want us to, to walk away remembering here. All right, Bern, I appreciate it. I, ple I appreciate Plant Profit too for mm -hmm. giving us the platform, but really it's about knowing your farmer, know who we are as people, and knowing that it's not about the money for us. It's about caring about how it makes you feel. And it's as simple as that. And people just want to know that we care about one another. And, and, and these farmers up here really do care about you. Wow. Uh, hey, I'm going to leave it at that. Johnny Casale, owner of Huckleberry Farm, Huckleberry Hill Farm, and uh, a wonderful story here today. And I want to thank you all for joining us here on Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis, your host. And you can download new episodes 
of Plant Profits. And please, please, this will be coming out soon. Find this particular episode by going to any of your places and platforms where you get your podcasts. CannabisRadio.com is a great place to go. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get your um, fix on podcasts, man, make it happen. Get Plant Profits. Follow Protus Global through our social networks, including LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Finally, learn more about how we are building companies at Protus Global and how we're changing people's lives at Protus Global. That's P-R-O-T-I-S global.com. Until next time, I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits. Cheers. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.